Welcome to the Oil World in 2019 podcast. 2019 will be a year of extreme volatility in oil and products markets. We have IMO 2020 coming up. We have an enormous amount of light sweet crude from the US that the market needs to absorb. And all of this is happening against a backdrop of potentially slowing demand because of the US-China trade relationships and extremely heightened geopolitical backdrop with Middle East, Venezuela and the US all entangled. In this podcast, we hope that we can shed some light on the six key themes that we think will define this year, and in particular, take you through the structural trends that are starting to emerge in this market that will make this market in particular one where you're going to see extreme price signals coming through differentials, through the products markets, and through time spreads. This is probably not going to be a year where the flat price of oil flies high. It is going to be a far more challenging year and a year where it's the physical market that is going to send the right signals. And that is what is going to be the place where we will be focusing on in helping you form your analysis. The most critical point for 2019 has to be the demand outlook because unless and until there is truce or some form of stability between uh, the US and China, there is a real risk that the global economy really falls into a recession. And if that were to happen, then, of course, there are fears about a 2008 repeat, which, of course, we don't think is our base case and we don't think that's going to happen. But we are very cognizant of that. If that doesn't happen, which is still our base case, then we do see a very, very strong crude and products market in the second half of uh, 2019, particularly for diesel. Gasoline, however, is becoming increasingly a byproduct because of extreme amounts of light, tight oil coming out of the US and the market will have to deal with that. These are some of the themes that we will take you through in this podcast. Geopolitics is going to be a key determinant of oil markets in 2019 because increasingly hard to predict U.S. foreign policy is going to contribute to erratic decision making much like that seen in 2018, particularly in the Middle East. That is going to spill over to Iran-Saudi rivalry and will be a very, very key determinant of where Iranian production ends up in 2019. Now we have Ricardo Fabiani, our geopolitical analyst, who will take you through all the geopolitical themes that will define 2019 in our changing world order outlook. 2019 is going to be another important chapter in the long transition towards a multipolar world from a geopolitical perspective. What we have been seeing is the US disengaging increasingly from its previous commitments uh, around the world as, if you like, the global policeman. And obviously the Middle East is uh, the region where the repercussions of this uh, transition are probably most relevant. We have seen this in, the res- in respect to the US-Saudi relationship, but also uh, with regards to uh, Iran. The Trump administration, in particular with regards to Iran, has tried to mark a break with the policies of its uh, uh, predecessors. Uh, And specifically, uh, the Trump administration, as we know, has been trying to 
reverse the policies implemented by the Obama administration by imposing sanctions uh, on Tehran. Now, uh, in 2019, the big question will be whether this policy will continue to be implemented, will it be accelerated, so we will see more sanctions or, or continuation of the policy of waivers that uh, has been uh, implemented last year. This will make a lot of difference in terms of uh, Iranian production, obviously, and the Iranian exports. And at the moment, there is still a lot of uncertainty whether uh, the U.S. Uh, will uh, continue to um, implement these waivers or will actually withdraw them. As for the U.S.-Saudi relationship, this is also uh, likely to be a, a particularly significant um, flashpoint, particularly as significant uh, uncertainties and misgivings continue um, to haunt the relationship between the U.S. Uh, um, and Saudi, and particularly with regards to the, the character of Mohammed bin Salman, with the U.S. Congress focusing increasingly on uh, MBS and trying particularly to sanction uh, this character. One of the instruments, one of the tools that the Congress is taking in consideration is the NOPEC bill, a bill that would actually uh, significantly uh, undermine the role of OPEC uh, and would uh, represent a major threat to assets, interests uh, of the uh, oil producers. Uh, obviously, 2019 is not necessarily going to be the year when the NOPEC, the NOPEC bill is implemented, is adopted. But this is something definitely to watch because it could have a significant impact on trade patterns uh, and the, the, the role of the dollar and everything that comes with the traditional uh, trades uh, of oil and trade patterns um, in, the, in this specific sector. More than anything else, it is the macroeconomic uncertainty that has provided a lot of fear in this oil market uncertainty around the dollar, the trade war between US and China, and broader market volatility because of stock market gyrations really are going to be the key determinants of global oil demand growth, which we expect to slow to just a million barrels per day this year, which would be the slowest in at least six years. So what happens to the macro backdrop is going to ultimately determine where oil prices are going to be heading this year. Next up, we have Mikhail Maidan, our head of China analysis, who is going to take you through our view on the global economy and how the trade war between China and the US will help shape our demand views. Key focus uh, for global markets in 2019, of course, is the state of the global economy. Markets tend to like volatility. They're less comfortable with the fundamental uncertainty that comes with, for example, the US-China trade war. That is threatening to slow glo the global economy and disrupt trade flows. On top of that, the Fed is exiting its QE program. And even though the Fed is maintaining a positive outlook on the US economy, markets are trading as if a recession were looming. These factors combined have led us to revise our global oil demand growth for 2019 down to 1 million barrels a day. Now, that is quite a sharp deceleration from a 1.5 million barrel a day growth in 2019. But we have to bear in mind that that's a return to perhaps more normal growth levels. The problem, of course, is that markets uh, who have been on a sugar rush of cheap money and cheap credit are not looking forward to this year of potential rehab. Same time, the EM space is not looking so dire. Uh, EM stock markets had started to price in 
very high oil prices to the tune of 90 or $100. But with the outlook now softening and looking more like $70 um, and a weakening dollar, stock markets are faring much better. And this improved sentiment could filter through to their real economies, especially in Asia, where China's infrastructure program called the Belt and Road Initiative and manufacturers moving away from China into other Southeast Asian economies could really help support growth. And that, of course, leaves the elephant in the room, which is China. The economy there is slowing, and it has been slowing regardless of the US-China trade war. But of course, that uncertainty is starting to weigh both on activity and on sentiment. The talks between the US and China are making progress, but reports every day tell a different story. Overall, we don't expect a, fundament, a fundamental breakthrough, but we're not expecting a collapse either. So the base case is that a freeze rolls over, and that gives markets a little bit of confidence, but not a shot in the arm that they may have been hoping for. It also means that Beijing does not have to introduce a massive stimulus to support the economy, because it is also trying to wean its own system off cheap credit. So overall, Chinese oil demand growth is set at 300 to 350,000 barrels a day this year with limited upside. Any support measures will start to kick in in the second half of 2019. But at that point, the outcome of India's elections could start to weigh on growth. So we're seeing a more muted outlook for oil demand growth this year. But markets could throw a, a tantrum uh, that will be a bit more disruptive. In 2019, one of the structural changes that has been ongoing for the past few years will really come home to roost. Sour crude markets have been getting tighter and tighter because of the downfall of Venezuelan production and the sanctions on Iran. At the same time, we have 2 million barrels per day of new refining capacity startup, all of which are geared to produce from sour crudes. So this imbalance between sour crude markets but ever-growing light sweet production in the U.S. could mean that norms need to be redefined and we could actually see sour crude markets trade at premiums to light sweet crude, which has never happened in the history of the oil market. Next, I, Amrita Sen, will go through our views on crude oil markets and how the growth of light crudes is set to redefine how refineries operate in this business. Crude markets are in for a bumpy ride, not least because of the geopolitical and demand concerns that are gripping the market right now, but because a number of structural factors that have been ongoing finally really make their presence felt in 2019. First and foremost, U.S. production growth will continue. We are expecting about 1.2 million barrels per day of year-on-year growth, which means even more light sweet crude uh, in this market. On the flip side, we have Iranian and Venezuelan production continuing to decline and 2 million barrels per day of new refining capacity across Turkey, China, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia and Brunei set to come online this year, all of which are geared towards running sour crudes. So the sour sweet imbalance is going to be acute this year and Q2 of this year could actually see sour crudes trade at consistent premiums to light sweet crudes. For instance, we expect Urals to trade at a premium to dated Brent, Mars LLS differentials to narrow quite sharply. We even expect Dubai to trade above dated Brent on a consistent basis uh, for much of this year. But one could argue that come IMO 2020, and especially this second half of this year, when the industry has to 
prepare to get into January 2020, this relationship is going to revert back to its original norm where light sweets have always traded above for medium sours. But we would warn against categorizing every light sweet crude as the same. Increasingly, the gasoline market is sending us a signal that gasoline is becoming a byproduct. For much of Q418, we had gasoline cracks trade in negative territory while fuel oil was positive. We don't see how that situation changes dramatically, at least in the first half of this year. But even going into IMO 2020, naphtha and gasoline will be struggling uh, simply because we just have too much light, sweet crude in the system. That means that alongside very heavy crudes with high sulfur, which do need to be penalized because we just don't need fuel oil in an IMO world, there will also be, in our view, what should be called a naphtha penalty. Any crude with too much naphtha should be trading at a discount to a middle distillate's rich crude. So the usual thinking that in an IMO world, when fuel oil demand will fall precipitously, that Brent Dubai should widen out because Dubai is your sour crude benchmark, we believe that is a misnomer because Brent, which will be set by 40s, uh, has actually deteriorated in quality. Uh, 40s is a very high sulfur in its bottoms, has about 2.8% sulfur, which is very close to Ural's. And it is a very naphtha-rich crude, which means that it will need to find a home with a coker and it has naphtha, which nobody really wants. So it gets hit from both sides. Yes, Dubai is not going to necessarily perform very well given the sulfur content, but Brent will not either. WTI Midland is probably going to be uh, one of the biggest beneficiaries of this change, as will a lot of the Nigerian grades. So there is a lot to look forward to, and it really it will be very specific grades and very specific content that we need to look for. So for instance, the percentage of sulfur at the very bottom of the barrel will be a key determinant as to how crudes are priced in the second half of this year alongside their naphtha cut. U.S. production growth will be an extremely important topic oil market participants will be watching, simply because U.S. production surprised everybody to the upside in 2018. Will that continue as oil prices have come off very, very sharply, or will the U.S. manage to rein in some of that growth? Now we have John Sadat, our North America crude analyst, who's going to take you through our views on U.S. production and exports, perhaps the most topical of all the views that we have for 2019. 2018 was a fun year for U.S. producers. As the U.S. saw record-breaking production growth and the U.S. becoming a leading global producer, it's utterly important what happens in 2019 for the global markets. Very, so far, very few producers have guided towards 2019 output. Um, however, there have been a few companies that are suggesting potential uh, slowdowns. But regardless, we think that total, total liquids growth for 2019 will still average 1.5 million barrels a day year on year for 2019. And crude is set to average 1.2 million barrels a day year on year. Importantly, over half of this 2019 growth forecast is going to come from the Permian Basin. Uh, right now, we're, we're roughly estimating about 600,000 barrels a day year on year growth for the Permian. However, as discussed numerous times over 2018 in, in our reports, there is a bottleneck of lack of capacity leaving the basin. However, 
starting mid-year 2019 through the end of 2019 into early 2020, roughly 2.5 million barrels a day of nameplate capacity will be will be commissioned to leave the basin. Around this, 1.6 million barrels a day we think is committed flows. Importantly, all 1.6 million barrels a day by the end of the year are all headed to the U.S. Gulf Coast. And with exports seeming to peak out at 2.5 million barrels a day so far, where will the extra capacity come from for exports? We currently... We currently estimate uh, export capacity to to be max around 3.2 to 3.6 million barrels a day. However, between Q2 and Q3 of this year, another 2 million barrels a day of capacity is slated to come online, primarily in the Corpus Christi area, which luckily is where most of these pipelines are set to terminate. Now, there's a lot of skepticism around the timing of these and if they'll come online when they're expected and exactly how much capacity will be available. However, we think one of the more important questions is the world has struggled to absorb 2 million barrels a day of U.S. exports, and we simply cannot see how it will absorb nearly 3 million barrels a day because for the U.S., to balance itself this year, it needs to average 3 million barrels a day of exports. So even with IMO 2020 boosting the demand for lights towards the end of the year and in 2020, we think that U.S. light crew differentials will have to do the work to keep U.S. exports in check. The lightest portion of the oil barrel is increasingly coming under a lot of pressure. U.S. crude production is rising, with it is NGL's production. And as a result, the NGL barrel is in for a bumpy ride. Ethane is set for an encore of 2018's volatility, uh, with rejection economics and lagging infrastructure clashing with new demand. But LPG is going to struggle with all this new supply and potentially slower demand growth, particularly if the U.S.-China trade war were to continue, even if some kind of a truce is formed. Next, we have Tom Whitehouse, our Lightens analyst, who's going to take you through our views on LPG and NAFTA and how the Lightens complex is shaping up to be extremely bearish across 2019. Firstly, the ethane markets. Much like the second half of 2018, US ethane prices are set for another round of volatility. Ethane demand will rise sharply as numerous crackers and expansions are expected to come online in the US, adding around 340,000 barrels a day of new demand. The main issue, we think, will be the mismatch of in-service timings between new fractionation capacity and the new crackers coming online. The bulk of the new ethylene capacity additions occurs in the first quarter, whilst new frac capacity over the period is limited to Targa's 100 kbd cedar bayou fractionator expansion. We don't, see, we don't expect the frac capacity constraints that have plagued the US Gulf Coast to loosen until early 2020, when significant fractionation capacity is going to be added. Until then, it looks like ethane markets will be prone to price spikes as competition for spot supplies increases. You know, onto the LPG markets, and much like, this, much like ethane, US LPG output and exports will continue to grow in 2019. But the similarities end there. New global LPG export capacity looks set to overwhelm LPG demand growth, with increasing competition amongst exporters ultimately weighing on global prices. The OPEC production cuts and Iranian losses due to US sanctions will cushion the downside to prices over the first half of the year as Middle Eastern exports come in flat or even lower year on year. 
though H219 will see exports rise if OPEC achieve its goals of stabilising markets, setting the stage for a more bearish second half of the year. Whilst we believe global balances will lengthen, we don't really envisage a collapse in LPG demand. Multiple PDH units and gas crackers will start up in Asia, and whilst all the signs in China are pointing towards slower growth in 2019, it is by no means on the brink of a collapse, as we expect the government to step in. But whether Beijing's efforts can support income growth and consumption is the key question for petrochemicals. And while Beijing will be able to boost infrastructure spending, rising inflationary pressure and concerns about income growth could weigh on demand this year. Now on to the naphtha markets. The light crude glue, which will only eat once prices incentivise run cuts, means that naphtha has a tough year ahead. Naphtha supplies are growing everywhere, from the US to the Middle East, whilst new waterborne naphtha demand is limited. All regions will continue to push its growing surplus to Asia, though Asian markets don't look strong either, as the bulk of the new steam cracker and Paris Island capacity additions are integrated with new refineries. Heavy inflows from the West will cap any upside to Asian naphtha values, and the, st- the global steam capac- cracker capacity fleet is expected to grow by between 7 and 8% this year, versus just 3.6% in 2018. The prospect of lower cracker operating rates is looking increasingly likely, as the growth of ethylene typically averages between 3 to 4%. And this also coincides with an expected slowdown in end-user demand, which will inherently back out naphtha. IMO 2020 is going to be the defining feature for the year 2019, because a lot of the physical players have to clean out their tanks and start preparing for Jan 2020 this year. Last but not the least, we have James McCullough, our oil products analyst, to take you through the most important topic of IMO 2020 and how that is going to shape the products market all through this year. I mean, the first thing to say about IMO is that, you know, there's very little chance now that this is going to get delayed or watered down. This is something we've been saying for a long time. It's very much IMO 2019 in that once you get to July, August, September, um, bunker suppliers and ship owners will need to start cleaning out their tanks. So once you agree that this is happening in a matter of months, you need to answer two basic questions. Firstly, what fuels will replace the 4 million barrels a day of high sulfur fuel oil bunkers currently burned on the world's oceans? In other words, what does the new bunker mix look like? And secondly, is the global refining system capable of meeting the new demand mix? A, without massively over-tightening distillate markets, which is a concern in some quarters, and B, without massively over-producing HSFO. To answer any of those questions, you need a very clear view on scrubbers and cheating. Scrubbers, we would say, will account for something like 750 KBD of demand by end 2020. Around 2,500 ships will be equipped, so not a huge amount. And cheating, we would say, including waivers, unlikely to get much beyond 300 kbd um, you know if you take your 300 kbd of cheating and your 700 kbd of scrubbers that still leaves 3 million barrels a day of hfo bunker demand that needs to be replaced how will that be replaced it will be replaced with mgo and vlsfo we would say mgo will be the initial winner demand will probably rise by something like 2 million barrels a day and that's on top of 600 kbd of conventional diesel demand growth. But we would say, you know, this is probably more manageable than people realize. Refiners will pull heavy gas oil molecules previously classified as HSFO into the gas oil pool. The bigger problem for us is how to meet the distillate demand while at the same time reducing the HSFO supply. Uh, And that's a a key uh, challenge for the, the refining industry in our view. And it likely spells 
HSFO oversupply of something like, difficult to put an exact figure, but 300 KBD in 2020. That's bad news for crudes like Arab Heavy, Maya, even Dubai, uh, which have uh, very high sulfur in their vacuum tower bottoms. Uh, these VTBs uh, being a section of the barrel that has historically relied very heavily on HSFO bunker demand. So lots of moving parts, um, but with only six months approximately to go, um, things are starting to look uh, a bit clearer. The key themes that you've heard from all of our speakers suggest one very important thing. There is a lot of uncertainty in 2019. Most importantly, because we have IMO 2020 coming up, which will really start to manifest itself from the second half of the year, this is going to be a year where light crude oil exports from the US is really going to start becoming a challenge for the refining system. This is one of the themes that we are exploring right throughout the podcast, as you've heard. And this is something which is a new paradigm for the oil market. It is the downstream that's going to send the signal to the upstream saying, can we actually raise diesel yields with this kind of crude that's coming out of the ground? Can we, in fact, be able to absorb all of this gasoline and naphtha and LPG that's going to come out from the US? These are some unanswered questions. And really, we are going to be in uncharted territory this year because this is something that the market simply hasn't seen. We need a lot of fuel oil destruction, but at the same time, we are losing an enormous amount of heavy sour crude because of all the geopolitical challenges that Ricardo talked about. We are losing Iranian barrels. There's a potential risk of losing even more Venezuelan barrels. So perhaps the loss of sour crudes will help to rebalance the fuel oil markets in an IMO 2020 world a lot quicker than anybody expected. Of course, ultimately, None of this will matter if the global economy doesn't hold up. We do believe that there will be some form of a truce between China and the US that will help stabilize the global economy. We are not expecting fireworks over here, but we also don't expect China to implode economically. So perhaps it's going to be a little bit of a boring year when it comes to global growth, but the supply side of crude with all the structural changes that are going on will really define crude and products markets given the need to produce at least 2 million barrels per day more diesel in the second half of the year ahead of IMO 2020. If the market cannot do that for whatever reason, be it the lack of yields from light crudes or the fact that gasoline could hit tank tops, then we could be in for a very fun ride in the second half of the year. To read through the detailed analysis of the summaries that we've just presented to you, please go ahead and download the Oil World in 2019 Outlook from our website. Of course, there you will also find all the underlying data sets that underpin our views and our analysis for the year. And do not forget, this is the very first year that Energy Aspects is hosting uh, our very own conference that's going to be on the 17th and 18th of June, where we will talk about all these themes with some very, very important speakers from around the world and our own analysts. So we hope to see as many of you there as possible. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast.